Well, good morning. It's very nice to be with you again in person. Uh, I've missed you all. And uh, although it's, it was strange a few weeks ago when we were back in church, we, we weren't originally allowed to sit. And in fact, my daughter was trying to persuade me even up to a couple of weeks ago that the law hadn't changed and I still wasn't allowed to sing. Um, and if you've had to stand next to me and hear me sing, you understand why. Because, you know, uh, it's only when I get to heaven that I shall actually be able to sing properly. But it's lovely to be with you. Um, ooh, all gone strange there, is it? Oh, crash, going to load it again. Okay, well, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 21... Acts chapter 21, and we're going to read from verses 27 to 36. And if you haven't been here for a while or you're visiting, uh, there's been a series going on through the book of Acts, and we've got to Acts 21. And this is the passage that they've given me this morning. Uh, when I read it, I did scratch my head and thought, I wish I was coming a different week. Uh, and then I thought of two or three different things uh, and ways that we could have put a ship. Um, but what I've come up with, uh, rightly or wrongly, is uh, we're going to have a little bit of a background, then we're going to have one little um, ad break or a little tangent I'm going to go off on, and then just five simple points that we can apply for us and put into practice in our own lives. Acts chapter 21, verse 27 says this, When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops of the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. And some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. And when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Away with him! Away with him! Amen. When I first read this, I was reminded of one of my favourite uh, um, comedians. I don't know if you've seen this guy at all on TV. He's a guy called Dave Gorman. Very funny, very tech sort of base thing, goes on the internet, various things of that nature. And he's had a series on Dave, if you ever watch Dave. And uh, it's not named after him, he just happens to be called Dave Gorman, and the uh, channel called Dave as well. And he does this sort of stand-up routine for about an hour with a few ad breaks in it as well. But also he does during it is what he calls a found poem. When he's talking about a subject, he loves to go onto the internet and he finds a story. And he goes down into the comments that people make 
you know, online. And I don't know if you ever sort of scroll down in what some of them make. You know, I, I'm amazed that people have got the time to actually make these comments. But some of them, you realise, you know, there are some just mad people in the world. And he takes the comments that are made and he makes a poem out of them, what he calls a found poem. And it generally gets the sort of the biggest laugh of the show. And I'm sort of tempted to think, though, that you know, he would have had a field day back in this time in Jerusalem. Because, you see, people here are commenting things they haven't actually seen and they don't really know very much about. And I think that's you know, half the people on the internet are making comments like that. They haven't got a clue what they're talking about. They get the wrong end of the stick, but they think, you know, because they can put something online and it's specifically anonymous, they can say whatever they want. You see, these Jews hadn't seen it for themselves, but they jumped to the conclusion that Paul had taken Trophimus into the temple, which he hadn't done. The crowd is shouting away with, I long don't even know it, but they just sort of get caught up with the feeling. You see, what's a bit of a background? Well, Paul, if you put up the next slide, has been away for quite a period of time. He's been on his third missionary journey. He spent quite a time, particularly in Ephesus, he spent three months in the synagogue teaching and, and, and ministering and building relationships, but they didn't like what he was teaching, so they, he spent the next three years having to hire what would have been the equivalent of a community hall in which to hold his services. And then he comes back to Jerusalem for the fifth and the last time. You know, some of these Jews were there from Ephesus uh, visiting probably for the Passover, but, you know, I'm always amazed that we know, when you meet people that don't come from a place, just how much more, you know, for example, Scottish. You know, Sean Connery hasn't lived in Scotland for donkey's years. He was a tax exile. But have you ever met anyone more Scottish than sort of when they interviewed him? You would have thought that, you know, Scotland was the promised land and it was a fantastic place to live. But hey, I, I'm going to live in a tax haven instead. Or has anybody ever been to Corby? No, if you've never been to Corby, don't worry, it, it, it's not particularly worth visiting. But, you know, it's a place that we went to when we were visiting all our counties. But Corby had a massive steelworks that opened. And loads of people from Scotland moved down to Corby in order to start work. And you would have thought that Corby was in Scotland. They sell more iron brew in Corby than anywhere else in England. They've got a shop that sells tartan kilts. They've got a, a, a band, you know, where they have the bagpipes and the pipers. And the, it, it almost feels like a little part of Scotland. And it's the way to take them out of their home country and take them down into court. It's almost as though they've become more Scottish than if they were back living in Scotland. And, and I think some of these Jews are a bit like that. They've become more Jewish by the fact they're not living in Jerusalem. They're way in Ephesus. And when they're visiting, and, and they just get concerned, and they'd heard what Paul had spoken about, and they didn't like the fact that he told them they didn't need to keep the festivals and, and all the food hygiene rules and, and, and all the law. And they just got so incensed over it. And they accuse him, if they put up the next picture, of taking this man, Trophimus, into the temple. You see, if you put up, sorry, if you put up the next picture, sorry, that one there, the temple, that's a picture of what the temple looked like. And the big part, the outside part, is what they call the court of Gentiles. That's the place where anybody could go into. But it was only the Jews that were allowed into the central part. And they accused him of taking Trophimus into it. Why? Well, and one other, by the way, that brown building, or the building with the dark brown roof on the 
left-hand side, that's where the soldiers were hanging out. That was former Herod's palace. So if you think they got there quickly, they didn't have very far to come in order to come and uh, to, to rescue him. You say, God had his provision that the soldiers were close by. And when someone beating you up, you want the policeman to be close by, don't you? So anyway, so they accuse him of taking Trophimus into the court. Why, why is he there? Well, well, Paul is there to purify himself. Now, some people say that, well, why did he need to do that? You know, he, he said that the law wasn't necessary. But when he's there, as a matter of expediency, he thinks it's important that to the Jews he purifies himself. You put up the next slide. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 9? Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. You see, he wasn't prepared to go and make a sin offering, as the Jews would have done, because that would have been wrong. But he says, in order to try and become like them, that I would be acceptable and they would listen to what I had to preach, then I was prepared to do whatever it took. Put up the next slide. Anybody recognize these two people? Well, I was going to say one of them is Hudson Taylor, the one on the uh, left, but I think you probably guessed there's one is Hudson Taylor. And the one is Gladys Aylward, two famous missionaries to China. I just love that picture of Hudson Taylor. He just, he just looks so Chinese, doesn't he? <laughs> some of the pictures that you see, you know, people go over to Africa, and, and I just think it's, it's really sad. You know, some of the churches you go to, people are wearing suits, you know, and they become so sort of westernized, you know. My sister went to one church when she was teaching in Africa, and she said all the women were topless, because that's just basically how they... She said, I've never been to a church like it. I think, thank goodness. No. But she just said it just, they were all sort of swaying away. She said, I just didn't know where to look, you know. But that, that, that's just what the local custom was, and that's what it was like. But, you know, I'm not suggesting we all become like that if we go to, uh, to Africa. But, you know, these people, Hudson Taylor, Gladys, they became... Just like the Chinese, they took their dress, they ate their food, they learnt the language in order that they could become, as Paul put it, like a Jew to them. He was anxious to reach the Jews with the news of the gospel. What's the tangent? Call it an ad break if you like. If you put up the next slide. If you heard me preach before, you know that I love what I call the little people in the Bible. See, I don't believe that anybody is in the Bible by accident. And there are some fantastic people in the Bible, like David and Moses and Abraham. They get an awful lot of press and a lot of coverage. But there are people in the Bible that are hardly mentioned at all. I think that they're there for a reason. And Trophimus, I don't know if you've ever thought or heard anything about Trophimus. He's only mentioned three times in Scripture. See, most of us will never be big people. I don't mean physically, but spiritual giants. But we can all play a part in somebody's story. And I think God has got a lot to teach us through these little people in the Bible. Three times he's mentioned, once in this passage that we read, and then earlier in Acts 20, verse 4, and then in 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. And it says this, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. And at first you read that and you think, well, so what? We all get sick, don't we? You know, perhaps he ate something, a bit of a dodgy chicken on a barbecue, or perhaps he had some water that wasn't quite right, or perhaps he got the flu or something else of that nature. He was just ill. He had to leave him behind so that he could recuperate Well, Paul went on. Yet if you read around that passage in 2 Timothy 4, you'll find something else. What has Paul done? Paul has just healed the father-in-law of Publius, who was the top dog around there, the chief man. And I'm thinking, hang on a second here. If Paul can heal the father-in-law of Publius, 
Why isn't he healing his friends? Trophimus, who's travelled with him, has been on his journey. Surely that would have been something that he could have done. You see, I think that's got a lesson to teach us. I believe that God can heal, but I don't believe that he does it all the time. And I don't believe that we have a right to demand or ask for it. We were watching church online. And one of the good thing about church online is you can really watch wherever you want to, can't you? And, and friends of ours who live up in Newbridge in South Wales, at their church, they've been having a series over the summer called This Is My Story. And, and they've been having people from the congregation giving up and giving their story, their testimony. And last week they had a couple of friends of ours. Uh, one of them is Lois, and also her son was there as well. Lois is the same sort of age as me. Young, I like to say, well, you know, getting in sort of mid to late 50s now. But, you know, the sad thing is that Lois has got motor neurone disease. She's had it now for about 18 months. And her son came up, Samuel, and he gave his testimony and how the Lord had done some amazing healing in his life. And her husband, uh, Nigel, he'd had cancer and had treatment, and, and, and that's all in remission at the moment. And, and just an amazing story. And then she stood up. She's got motor neurone disease. And she said, Lord, we prayed for a miracle, but the Lord hasn't given us a miracle. I've still got it, and in fact, she's, she looks as though she's sort of broken her leg. She had one of those big boots on, because her leg foot isn't really sort of moving very well. Her body's starting to sort of slow down and shut down. And she said, we pray for a miracle. The Lord did the biggest miracle she's had in my life when I was a teenager. Her parents weren't Christians, but they sent her to Sunday school. And at 12 years old, she became a Christian. When she was 16, she led her parents to the Lord as well. And she said, the Lord has done the greatest miracle in my life, that he saved me. And my life here on earth may not be as long as he wants. And we may not get the miracle that we're praying for. But he said, I've known in these last 12, 18 months such a blessing of what it is to walk with the Lord despite this illness. And in times of physical frailty, and when you look at your immortality, she said, it's been the most precious time of my Christian life. Why does the Lord not choose to deliver? I don't know. I'm going to ask some questions when I get to heaven. But he didn't choose to heal Trophimus. Publius, father-in-law, he did. I don't know why. But God in his wisdom, and God in his will, heals some, but not others. And that's the lesson that I learned from Trophimus. Advert over. Let's get back to the passage. So what are the five lessons that I think we can simply learn for ourselves this morning? And I think the first lesson is this, is that persecution is to be expected. What did Jesus say? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of misery. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Persecution is not fun, is it? If you put up the next slide, you know, there's been a lot of cases recently of uh, Christians coming under increasing attack in this country. Some of them, quite famous, you probably realize the, the Asher Baker case. You remember the people there who were taken to court because they refused to bake a cake with a, a, a pro-homosexuality symbol on the top of it. The guy on the top there is a teacher who uh, wrongly spoke to a pupil who was uh, going, wanted to be known by a different gender. And he was suspended and then sacked from his job as a teacher, um, Josh, Joshua Sutcliffe. And then the last guy, I don't know if you recognize him, he's a guy called Dominic Muir. 
Uh, and that's Blandford Forum, if you've ever been to Blandford Forum. And last year, last summer, he uh, felt called by the Holy Spirit. And, and as the news report said, age 44, father of two. So that's what we told you in the report. He drove his truck into the middle of Blandford Forum, stood on the front bled, started to sing Amazing Grace, gave his testimony and started to preach from John 3.16. And a policeman came up and told him to be quiet. And he said, well, I've got a right. It's freedom of speech. And the policeman said, well, if you don't shut up, I'll stop you. And the guy said, well, if you feel that's wrong, then I will go up. But he said, I just want to finish what I'm doing. And as he started to try and wrap up, the policeman got onto the back of the truck and forced his arm up behind his back and told him he'd have to stop preaching. And they arrested him. And uh, they uh, took the police to, uh, to threaten to take them to court. Uh, and they admitted that they were in the wrong. See, we are under attack in this country. I don't think I would call it persecution. If you put up the next slide, there's a guy there called Simon Calvert, who's the directi, deputy director of the Christian Institute based up in Newcastle. And he said he thinks it's wrong to speak of persecution in Britain. He said, we have to be very careful about using the word persecution here in the United Kingdom. We enjoy freedoms and religious liberties of a kind which Christians in the most of the world, for most of human history, could only have dreamt of. When we say persecution, we think of people losing their lives, their liberty or their livelihood for the sake of their faith and it being state-sanctioned. Thankfully, that is not happening in the United Kingdom. I don't think so yet, but I think the time may come. But if you look around the world and put up the next slide, you don't have to look very far. I don't know whether you get the Barnabas Fund newsletters or you get their emails that come in. Time and time again, and I'm sure there'll soon be stories up there about Afghanistan, of Christians, our brothers and sisters around the world, that are suffering persecution for the sake of the gospel. Churches burned and looted, Christians being killed, being persecuted. Put up the next slide. A lady whose um, testimony I read, a lady from North Korea, she said this when she was in third, and her only crime was being a Christian in North Korea. She said, the guards were merciless. They kicked me. They beat me with sticks. Christians are killed or locked up for the rest of their lives in concentration camps. Death was part of our daily life. The bodies were burned, and the guards scattered the ashes of the path. Every day we walked down that path. And I always thought that one day the other prisoners would be walking over me. I wonder what you would do if you faced that persecution. See, Paul knew what he was going back to face, yet he was prepared to be faithful to the sake of the gospel. You know, it hurts when people laugh at us. They used to say when I was a kid, sticks and stones may make my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know, I think I probably beat up more people at school for calling me names than anything else. Well, they used to call me all sorts of... I won't tell you what they were, you know, but, you know, they used to really rile me. And I was a bit of a tearaway. I had a bit of a temper when I was a kid, and I often was bigger than the rest of them. And I used to throw my weight around. Names hurt. But are we prepared to stand up for the sake of the gospel? What's the second lesson that we learn? Not only that we are going to suffer persecution, but also that God uses many different ways to fulfill... His will. You see, in Acts 21, Paul had a vision given to him by Agabus, who came and said what was going to happen to him. Yet Paul was still willing to go to Jerusalem, believing that God would have an answer. And you know, and God answers sometimes prayer in a most unusual way. I told a story when I was here about three years ago, but you know, I'm getting old, so I'm going to repeat myself, and I'm guessing you're old and won't remember what I said. But you know, there's a lovely story that's told about, and some of you weren't here, but it was an evening service, about when the rains came down. And the place started to flood. And this guy had a knock on the door. And they said, we think you ought to evacuate. 
because there's a flood that's coming. And the guy said, no, he said, I'll be fine. The Lord's going to look after me. And as the waters rose, he moved upstairs. And they came, and they came in a boat this time. And they said, look, we feel as though you want to be rescued. Come in the boat now and come with us, and we'll take you to a place of safety until the waters... No, he said, the Lord will protect me. And as the waters rose even more, he went and sat on the roof. And they came in a helicopter this time, and they let down a ladder. And they said, quick, come up into the ladder. You'll be saved from the flooding. We'll take you to a place of safety. He said, no, the Lord will look after me. And the water kept on rising. And the man drowned. Sorry, it's not very theologically sound, this story. But when he got to heaven, he said, Lord, why didn't you save me? I put my trust in you. And the Lord said, well, what do you expect? I gave you a warning. I sent the men in boats. I even gave you a helicopter. Do you know how difficult that was to arrange? And you didn't accept it. You see, because sometimes God answers his prayer in a way that we don't necessarily expect and people we don't necessarily expect. Who saved Paul? How did God use? Well, it was called Claudius Lysias. He had a thousand men uh, at his command. And when they came and they started to attack him, and when this prophecy became full and they started to try and kill him, God used a man who wasn't a Christian in order to fulfill his will. You know, and that happens all throughout Scripture. The book of Esther, what happened? The king couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. Perhaps he'd had too much cheese for supper. I don't know. But he couldn't sleep. And what do you do if you can't sleep? He said, I want a book to be read. He didn't read because that's what my wife would do if she wakes up in the middle of the night. You know, and she sort of nudges me and says, stop snoring, I'm trying to read. But, you know, he got the book to be read to him and it reminded him of all that the people of God had done. God uses people that aren't his own in order to fulfill his will. Put up the next slide. What's the next thing? Some more personal lessons for us as well. We're going to face persecution. We find sometimes the Lord answers prayer in a most unusual way from unusual people. But we're also called as well to keep the peace. <coughs> Matthew 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. See what did the Jews want to do? They just wanted to stir up trouble against Paul. I wonder what the Roman authorities felt. Oh, these Jews that again. They're always fighting amongst themselves, aren't they? I just wish they could keep the peace. You see, God calls us to be peacemakers. And sometimes there will come times in life where God loves all and every one of you. He saved you all. But some of us aren't half difficult to get on with at times, aren't we? You know, and when we upset and annoy each other, what happens? If you put up the next slide. You know, there is a difference, I think, between a reaction and a response. And sometimes if people say things that upset me, I'm really tempted just to sort of, you know, lash back out again and we react. It's a guttural thing. You know, some people have upset us or hurt us and we say something. It's an instinctive reaction. It's a bit like, I suppose, if you're driving down the road and a dog runs out, you suddenly swerve. You know, you don't think of what's around you or you don't think about the consequences. It just happens. And yet a response is where, again, in a driving analogy, you observe the road ahead, you adjust your speed, you gather information, you process it, and you act accordingly. And sometimes things that are said to us may be because that person themselves is in pain. Perhaps they've got some bad news that they've had that week that you don't know about. Or they've had a big argument with their wife and kid before they've come to church, and you get the backlash of it. When I train people at work, I've often said to the clients, sometimes say things to you which are not very nice and a bit nasty, but, but don't be upset. Because sometimes you're getting the, you know, the thick, sharp tongue, the thick end of something which is something altogether different. Matthew 18, verse 15, if you put up the next slide, says what we ought to do. 
It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. See, these Jews, most of them didn't have a clue what happened. The word had spread. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have social media. But they'd heard the message, and they also jumped onto the bandwagon, like those people who comment on the Dave Gorman found poems. And they're shouting, away with him. We don't really know what he's done. We're going to go with the crowd. That's not what we ought to do as Christians. We ought to respond and not react. Time's almost gone. What's the next thing? Also, I think there's nothing. We need to live in unity. I was going to say count it up, but you don't have to count these days and read through because you can have things online that tells you many times. But during lockdown, I, I came across that phrase, one another, one another. And that's the Greek word Passover. And you know, in a hundred times that phrase appears in Scripture. 94 New Testament verses. And a third of the times it relates to unity. See, Christian unity is so important that about 30-odd times the Bible stresses that as Christians we need to live in unity. In fact, it's so important in John 17, in that great high priestly prayer, what does Jesus pray? Father, I pray that they may have power in evangelism and do great miracles. Does he pray that they'll have a fantastic prayer life? No. He says that they pray that they may be one as we are one. It's a reflection of the Godhead. It's important that we live in unity. Four of those 100 relate to kissing, but I've decided we're not French or Italian, so they probably don't apply to us in quite the same sort of way as to ourselves. But a third relate to unity, and we're called to live in unity. And then lastly, time's almost gone. Acts 21, the last lesson to have, lesson five, is that we need to listen to the Holy Spirit, not the winds of change. You know, you can read this in different ways. You see, these Jews, they were sort of jumping on the bandwagon. They'd heard a rumor, and they sort of just sort of went for it. But, you know, we're called not to listen to the winds of change, but we're called to live by the Holy Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And, you know, that keeping in step, it's a bit like a drill sergeant, the Greek word. And when you've got soldiers out on the parade, and they, they sort of all march in time, everybody's in time together. And that's what the Holy Spirit calls to do, to keep us in unity, that we can react together, that we can live together in unity, not by the winds of change. And whether that's what we chase after, some new sort of weird teaching that we hear on the internet or we hear perhaps preach somewhere. My father's 93 now. It doesn't really get out at all. He watches a lot of the God channel. And he says, some of it's quite good. He said, but some of it's absolute drivel. And, and he shouts at the tree. And I, I thought at first he was got a dementia, you know. But, but, but he said, no, he says, I know what I'm doing, he said. But if I don't tell them they're wrong, he said, they'll think that I agree with them. I say, Dad, they can't hear what you're saying. He said, I know, he said, but the Lord can hear it. So I wouldn't let them to know that I don't agree with it. He said, love, it's fantastic. He said, but some of it is absolute drivel. You know, new things that we hear. And sometimes people race from church to church or other sort of teachings. So, oh, if, if, unless you've you know, been baptized in this, then that, and the other. You see, the Lord calls us that we walk and step with the Spirit. We don't listen to the voices of those around us. But most of all, we listen to his voice. It's Holy Spirit teaching and leading us. Well, there's a lot we could have said this morning. But just five simple lessons. We must expect persecution. Even in this country, even as bad as in some, 
that God will sometimes answer our prayers in ways that we don't expect. That as we go together, we must live in unity. We must live in this light of what the Holy Spirit teaches us and tells us to do. And I've forgotten the last point, but you were listening, so you can remember it as well. But you know, that's what I learned this morning from this message. You know, perhaps I'm glad that you asked me to come this Sunday morning. You know, there's an awful lot of what the Lord teaches us, even from passages that we haven't read a lot together. Let's just pray together, and then we're going to sing a song. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that it has to teach us. Father, some of what we've said this morning may not be applicable, a lot of us, but perhaps there's something that your spirit will take. Lord, that you'll take your word, you'll make it alive and real to us. Lord, you'll write your lesson upon our hearts. And Father, as we go from here shortly, Lord, your, your Holy Spirit will just teach that word to us. Perhaps, Lord, as we're going through a difficult circumstance, Lord, we say, Lord, why aren't you answering our prayer as we thought? But maybe the answer is coming in a way that we don't expect. But Father, keep us with this word written upon our hearts. Help us to meditate on it. And most of all, Lord, help us to keep in step with your spirit this week as we walk with you. Amen.